Eric Veal with the AppsJack Capable Communities Podcast, and I am coming to you from Seattle, Washington, which is home of Microsoft, Amazon, Facebook, Boeing, and an incredible startup ecosystem that rivals Silicon Valley. Each episode, I bring on friends and guests who are executives and business leaders from the local community and around the world to talk about a topic that we find very interesting. Please enjoy this episode. Today on the show, I'm happy to have Dave Niederkrom, Joe Wallen, and Jonathan Olson, and I'll let those guys introduce themselves. Uh, my name is Dave Niederkrom, and I'm a seasoned finance and finance guy and serial entrepreneur. Uh, my current project is um, I'm building a, a uh, curated research and collaboration platform for the financial space. Yeah, my name's Joe Wallen, and I am a uh, startup and early stage technology company lawyer in Seattle, and I work with a lot of different uh, companies and investors and companies around town. My name is Jonathan Olson. I'm a registered patent attorney. I work for Aon Law, which is a IP boutique, and I'm happy to have an opportunity to demystify some of that stuff today. Yeah, so it's really good for these guys to be here. Uh, the topic that we're going to talk about today is acquire, construct, and manage assets, and we'll get into those conversations now. We'd like to start by talking about assets and liabilities and really just provide the audience with a, an introduction, more or less, of what it is to acquire, construct, and manage assets, and then kind of the anti-asset, which is a li liability. And I'll start with Dave Niederkrom, who'd like to uh, share a little bit of his thoughts and background on assets and liabilities. Yeah, we, we'll, we'll try to cover as much, uh, much information as we can, but looking at the different asset classes, whether you're talking about marketable securities, stocks and bonds and, and the like, or, you know, real estate, possibly REITs, mutual funds, whatever the case may be. And then I think that kind of leads into, um, obviously, as I said, real estate, other sort of physical or hard assets. And then the, a little more of a challenging topic is, is um, putting, putting um, uh, a, a startup or a company and how does that fit into the whole asset class? Is it a separate asset class unto itself? And then how does that relate to other, other components of, of whether it's software or just building a company? And, and assets for us, this is Eric, is that um, it's, it's one view or angle that we can take in thinking about or looking at a business as you can look at it from the perspective of assets or as an asset. And so that's kind of what we're trying to delve into here is how, what are the skills to look at a business as a collection of assets in addition to what its liabilities might be? Or if you're thinking about a project or a product, what are the kind of assets and benefits of it? And then what are the liabilities or downsides? But there's a skill to learn here about, about thinking about asset management that we're trying to kind of teach our audience. So Jonathan or Joe, any experiences or thoughts about using the tool of asset management in your jobs? My, my practice is very, very specific. I mean, I, I, I kind of help people across a particular, particular pit that they might fall into. I'm a registered patent attorney, so I end up doing, like one, one major aspect is I'm writing. I'm starting from scratch and, and creating. People, under, people are under the impression that patents are uh, like, a, like a form you fill out, but the truth is it's a lot more like writing a book and with, with illustrations, and a lot of the stuff has to be illustrated, and there are a lot of pitfalls, and even if you do it perfectly, 
you're not going to find out whether what you what you did was worth much for five or ten years when the patent is challenged. So, but you know, I think I'm I'm here in the hopes that we can demystify some of that and we can talk about trade secrets because mm -hmm. a large majority of most companies worth is tied up in their trade secrets in particular. So it's a very, very valuable asset class and one that you can develop for a lot. Uh, there are a lot of things you can do to develop your trade secrets for ne next to nothing. Yep. And so, so just introducing, introducing what, ne what is going to be next or in this series of four items about the asset, basically about our larger asset topic. So Right now, we're just trying to introduce the topic, and then in the next episode, we're going to get into intellectual property and trade secrets, secrets. so we'll be able to focus on that next. And then uh, following that, we'll talk about valuation, and then afterwards, we'll kind of talk about some conclusions and so forth. Um, Joe, any, any thoughts or experiences about the asset management topic? Sure, yeah. I, well, I work, I work mostly with... Uh, like I described earlier, just early stage, usually tech companies of one kind or another. And when we when we think about the assets assets of a business in that context, we're thinking about uh, we're thinking about workforce in place, the team, uh, customer contracts, um, things things of that nature, right? What gives a business value? And 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 usually, what gives a business value is uh, its employees, its personnel, and uh, and whatever customers it has to generate the business, you know, generate the income from. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of the thoughts, you know, or what I think about when I think about assets and what assets do we have to manage. And so it's your people, and it's your your ideas, your trade secrets, and and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Uh, so where where would we like to take the conversation from here? So we're just trying to introduce the topics. I guess I was thinking when Jonathan was mentioning about the patent um, side of things that the patent itself. It would be created as an asset, of course, or that's the intention that it's it's valuable and important. But there's obviously some nuance there where you can pat you could patent a napkin holder or some kind of strange invention that maybe doesn't have a lot of market value. So how how do people think, or what are some good ways for people to think about assets and liabilities, or how does that relate to strategy, for example? I guess. Well, I think it's really important with any investment that you're looking at, whether it's one you're going to build or one you're just going to try to buy pieces of, or even p parts of a business, that your, your, your resources, to look at the, the possible risks, the opportunities, the threats, the, the, the downside. And I think it's, you know, you have to, you have to, <laughs> it's, starting a business is, is, is quite an undertaking. It takes a lot of courage. And so I think, just realize maybe uh, the ability to recognize your own weaknesses and figure out ways to make up for them. Mm -hmm. Try to try to bring people onto your team or or consult, bring in the right people, so that they can help you uh, cope with blind spots. Makes sense. So ultimately, we're trying to build up our asset base, or as entrepreneurs, we're trying to a create these create these assets, b kind of sell them or demonstrate them to other people. But it's kind of our job, more or less, as entrepreneurs to build assets or to manage assets and to, I suppose, sell them one way or the other, whether it's to your customers or to other prospective buyers? Well, yeah, if you look at a, a traditional money manager that's managing a you know, portfolio of, of stocks and bonds and other marketable securities, it, it's, it's not entirely different. It's actually fairly similar if you're looking at building a business. As one of the other guests said, you've got your employees is, is an asset, your contracts are assets, relationships are assets, tough to value, 
but they're all assets, including intellectual property, trademarks, copyrights, patents, all these sort of things. So I, I think there's a lot more similarities than differences between your traditional money manager that's managing you know, a, a portfolio of marketable securities versus managing a company and building a company and growing the value of that company. Sounds good. Should we, should we talk about tangible and intangible, or can you guys give us some examples of in, in valuation, perhaps, or just perceiving value? What are examples of tangible versus intangible in the context of business? Sure, I'll take that one. I mean, y- y- tangible assets are usually, you know, if you're a restaurant, it's your pots and pans or your ovens or whatnot. Or, if, um, you know, if you're a software company, maybe it's your, although people don't keep servers on site anymore. I mean, just use AWS or something like this. But in the old days, it used to be your computers, your what you've got scattered about that you paid cash for. Um, and obviously, the value in these in these types of assets is not really where the value of the business is. Um, and so that's why when you see a business sold um, and you do a purchase price allocation of the purchase price amongst all the different assets that you've acquired as part of the business purchase, there's always a big dollar number that drops to the bottom line, which just goes into goodwill. Mm-hmm. And in the goodwill box are all these intangible things like customer relationships, workforce in place, uh, you know, trade secrets. I mean, you might have a wonderful collection of trade secrets. Um, and... But you're not going to have a book value typically assigned on your balance sheet to those. Uh, it's just going to be it's going to be a blank spot in your on your balance sheet. But there's there's going to be a lot of value potentially there. Mm-hmm. For an established business, you can get. I mean, ordinary ordinarily a valuation will come from how many orders do you have? What 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 is what was your revenue last period? But startups have to have their own valuations as well. Yeah, so the, the valuation part, I guess one question I'd ask is, if we look at it purely from a financial sense and you have the balance sheet, I, I believe that the balance sheet is set up such that it has, here's the assets area, here's the liability area, and are we saying that all of those are 100% tangible assets? Is that how that works, or I don't even know. Well, typically at the outset of a business, you're not going to have a, you're not going to book as an asset some sort of, um, let's, just say, let's just say we all started a software company. And we all uh, we all chipped in a little bit of money to pay for the cost of forming the company, and when then we contributed our contributed our concepts and our ideas and our plans for the business to the to the business pursuant to some sort of IP assignment agreement. When we sat down and then we actually started cranking out code this weekend or whatever it was, and we started accumulating a code base that had some value, we're not going to reflect that on the on the, on the balance sheet right. anywhere. Right. Um, it's just it's just gonna it's not gonna be it's just not gonna be there. Sure. And that's I mean when you when you buy a business you may have to allocate purchase price to intangibles you frequently frequently do right and so in that instance if you're buying a business you'll find a balance sheet asset associated with something like that but at the at the early stages of a startup company your asset your balance sheet's gonna look fairly you know it's just it's not gonna reflect a lot of this where the value really lies in the business. Yep. So valuation is a separate topic the financial. Uh, aspect of the balance sheet, kind of what what it's saying according to the bank, perhaps, or to the business per se, is is one lens that you can look at it and you can see the perhaps tangible assets that are noted on the balance sheet. Whereas from a buy sell perspective, there's a whole other set of benefits and and intangible perhaps assets that come along with the business entity. You would hope so. 
Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I would think so. And, and if you look at, you know, to, to draw like a comparison, look at a, you're buying a house. Well, you have an appraisal, you have a market value, you have comparables in the neighborhood. And, and so it, you, you're pretty close. You have a pretty good idea of what that thing's worth. A startup is, is, is completely different, as Joe just pointed out, especially, you know, so, we, yeah, we start a company and at the end of the weekend we've got how many lines of code written and what's it worth? It's probably not worth a lot, but over time hopefully that value increases and then there's maybe some patent issues and some trade secrets and, and that grows, but it's very difficult to put um, put a valuation on that, especially the, the more difficult the earlier, I would, I would think. Right. And is that because of comparables and because of intangibles? I mean, that's what it sounds like to me is that in the case of a startup, A, you're trying to create something unique. And so, which is to maybe say that there's not a lot of comparables. You, you could say that the comparable class is other startup companies or that, that preceded it, for example. And then, and then the intangible area of all these this, uh, future value, future promises and so forth is coming along with what this company's vision and mission is. Um, I, I'm still just trying to distinguish between how do, how do people think about this comparables part or how, do, how, do the, how does this idea of intangibles, I suppose, get into valuation? And, and we'll have a, a full episode about valuation, but I'm just trying to explore the intangible or comparable sense about how do people think about value. Well, I think, I think people do tend, and I, I've even done this before, tend to make or try at least try to draw comparisons between different companies that have that have um, done certain things and, and let's just call it in the software space and okay I'm like I'm like X or I'm like Y and so they were valued at this amount so why should be valued at this amount but it's you know it's a combination of a lot of things it's the team it's the ability to execute it's mm-hmm. the perception it's the 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 market opportunity there's a lot of components so they try to draw these comparisons on or, or make comparisons like a like a, a comp with a real estate, but it's just it's just not the same thing. Yeah. It's too it's too tough because if the more unique you are, the more tough it is to, sure. to draw a comparison, I I believe. Even before you find your comparables, at some point you're gonna look at the size the raw size of the opportunity. I would think mm-hmm. as an investor, but that would be the first thing that a startup could point me at that would get me excited. For example, I'm I am an advisor to a little startup that is coming up with a new high-tech tourniquet. And so the thing that they're displacing is a plain old tourniquet, a thing you put around your leg and hopefully it's going to save you from from an amputation because you've had some episode. So that's clearly a humongous market. And so, but once an investor is drawn into being excited about a uh, the size of that market. Now you can maybe look at, the, maybe maybe an, an investor will start to become excited about. Overall, I want to invest into a medical devices. So they then they could start to develop some some comparables. I w- that that would be my suggestion if I had a close friend with a lot of money that they started to get invest interested in investment. Find comparables. Yeah. So the the tangibles. So for an investor, for example they would try to find things that they feel like are tangible, such as the team, such as the market. And that, so there are some things that clearly can be compared or, or basically compared where you could, you could try to measure past performance of the team or the individuals that are doing it, the market itself, the market size. So there's some objectivity to making these decisions or making these valuations more or less, or ba- which is to say kind of putting a price on an asset. Is that roughly it? Yeah, I definitely think that's true. I mean, I think I think the um, yeah investors will look. I mean, it's one it's one quote unquote asset that's not reflected on the, on on your financial statements. But um, yeah, the the quality of the team, 
um, uh, and the, t- the size of the target market that they're that they're trying to crack, um, and then um, you know what they're trying to do. I think all those things factor into sort of how you value a business that's a zero. So usually these are startups are you know they start with zero in revenue and yeah. and frequently the I mean very often they'll receive investments before they before they have any revenue and um, so how do you make a judgment about how to place a value on a on a thing like that. And um, yeah, so you'll search for comparables. You ask yourself, well, you know, how big is that target market, and have they, you know, have they quantified the size of the opportunity in a way that that makes sense? And then, and then you'll try to think about the team and like what you think about the team's ability to execute, and and um, you'll just kind of make a guess. Hopefully, the guess can come pretty late in the process. I think I think there needs to be a lot of brainstorming and a lot of examinations and get everything on t- into your. Uh, war room, laid out on all the laid out on all the walls before you go ahead and push the push the go button. For example, with the tourniquet company, uh, you know you might want to look at just how hard is it to get an FDA approval. What other what opportunities in other countries might you look at? Is there still an opportunity to get patent coverage abroad? Yeah, the the future value is is a thing that I was looking or thinking about. Is that you can you can do it based on the current value, kind of perceived value now and, and the tangible things that are visible and, and analyzing or doing your due diligence on the opportunity per se. But clearly investment is based on future value or some expectation that there's going to be a return on the investment or that the there's an increasing, the asset has increasing value. It's an appreciating or it's a hypothetically rapidly appreciating asset. Yeah, I would agree with that as well. And, you know, kind of think of it as almost like building a house with, with building a business and we can Let's at least refer to um, you know a software company at this point. So you know every line of code is another brick. Every potential patent is another brick. Your team, your market opportunity, all these pieces build just like again, just like you're building a house. And as you're adding more code or more patents or uh, you know traction with customers potentially, obviously revenue somewhere down the road. As that all evolves, you are increasing the value of the company. Now, exactly what that is is, is a challenge to do, but. But the whole goal and idea behind that is to create that future value, and that can come in the form of some sort of exit right. for the shareholders and the investors. And, and that sounds to me more like vision, I suppose, and thinking of it in terms of the total future value or possibility of the thing. I guess for me, if I look, take a huge guy like Microsoft, for example, it's clearly more than one house. It's many houses, <laughs> right? They're, they're building a neighborhood or an ecosystem that is yeah. complex. Um, so it, which to me says that the vision of the founders and their ability to execute, for example, would be a key indicator, of course, of what's possible and, and what the valuation might look like and the degree to which that asset, a, asset's health is high, which is to say that its return rate is high. Yeah, I, w- I would agree with that. It's all, it's all a, it's a process and it's a building process and every little piece adds up to that. That potential and, and hopefully soon, you know, realized f- future value at some point in time in the company's history. Any other uh, just comments? So we're in the basically the intro realm. We're just trying to introduce our audience to what we're about to talk about. So we're going to get into in future episodes. Next episode is about intellectual property and trade secrets, for example. Uh, we're going to get into valuation. We're going to get get into basically once once we're there, what does all this mean, and what are the benefits for our listener about thinking from the perspective of asset management. Any kind of quick 
closing thoughts about our intro or what we're about to talk about from the audience or from the guests, sorry. I wonder if we should maybe comment briefly on what we look, might look for in a team as an investor. What, what, what do you hope for with a, a, a set of founders? Sure. I mean, I'll take that one. I, I mean, I think, um, I, you know, it's a interesting question because, um, you know, people who start businesses come in all different um, you know, varieties. And sometimes it's really hard to see. Um, obviously, past performance is... Uh, interesting. I mean, you, you know, if you if you're investing in um, the next venture of someone who's sold their last two companies, you might feel um, you might feel like you got some real. Uh, you might have a really good feeling about their ability to execute because they've done, they've done it twice. Um, at the same time, though, you might be you might be looking at a team of first time founders, and you might just be trying to figure out like what is their ability to pull this thing off. And it's a weird thing because it's hard to. I mean the. And it's not, it's not always the, you know, it's not always the team that results in it being a success or not. Frequently it, it is, but sometimes the timing is bad. I mean, sometimes the market doesn't develop as fast as you thought it would. Sometimes the market goes in a, in a different direction from where you thought it was going to go. But I mean, I, so I think, yeah, but do I want to invest in this team? I think you're looking at, uh, you're looking at their backgrounds, you're looking at their, um, you know what they've worked on in the past, what what their what their skills is, what they're good at. Are they good at something that's that's in this? I mean, do they have domain expertise in this area? Um, all sorts of things. I mean, it's a. Um, I think it's an interesting and not a not an easy question to answer. I think um, I think the the Maveron Venture Fund has an actual um, like a little uh, on their website. They have sort of a uh, you know they created a persona of their ideal. Hmm. Or like their target founder persona. Nice. Hmm. Um, and they've obviously put a lot of thought into it. But I, I think it's yeah, it's not a, it's not a simple and easy question to answer. Okay, so uh, we'll wrap it up at that point. So this episode has basically been an introduction to our larger topic about assets. And in the next episode, we're going to talk about intellectual property, trade secrets, and uh, things of that kind. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the AppsJack podcast. The creator and host of this podcast is Eric Veal. It was recorded, engineered, and produced by Christian Harris. You can contact us and find all our show notes on our website at appsjack.libsyn.com. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N. If you like what you hear on this podcast, let us know by writing us a very nice five-star review on iTunes and subscribing. You can also find out more by going to appsjack.com slash meetup to get more information on this month's topic and the corresponding meetup group that Eric hosts in Bellevue, Washington each month. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next month for our next episode of the AppsJack podcast. This has been a Seatown Media production. Find out more at seatownmedia.com, S-E-A hyphen townmedia.com. Media.com.